Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Local Duncan franchisee shares a success story by John Colas. A New Englander completing a cross-country drive may know they are getting closer to home as the frequency of Dunkin' Donuts increases. They are just called Dunkin' now, and Belmont got its third recently. There are 8,500 Dunkin' stores in the United States alone, and every one is a franchise. Belmont is also home to Dunkin' franchisee Benny Omid. Omid currently owns two Dunkin' franchises in Alston. He knows absolutely everything there is to know about how to operate a Dunkin' and fulfill the corporate mission of fueling America and spreading joy. He knows because he started at Dunkin' in 1988, sweeping the parking lot and cleaning the bathroom. Growing up Jewish in Iran in the 1980s was difficult for Omid. The revolution was fresh and anti-Semitism extreme. Between the schoolyard bullying and Iraqi air raids that shattered every window in his home and left his ears ringing for days, the future looked bleak. When he was 14 years old, his parents told him that it was time for him to leave. They would smuggle him out of the country, but could not go with him. The journey would be hard. His parents <coughs> believed that he could make a better life for himself in America. Under cover of darkness, in the back of a pickup truck, Omid recalls bouncing through the mountains into neighboring Pakistan. At the United Nations refugee camp, he was processed and provided the documentation that would let him travel safely to the airport in Karachi. Along the way, Omed and his group were stopped by security forces, who took every penny they had before letting them proceed on their way. Mm. Omed made it to the airport and on to Austria, where he lived for a time before finally immigrating to the United States at age 16. A new life began for him in Massachusetts as he enrolled at Malden High School. He also started working at Dunkin' Donuts. At Dunkin', Omed said that he found a new family and an uplifting culture. The franchise owners welcomed him, helped him learn the English language, provided encouragement and emotional support. They invited him to their home for the holidays. Omid went from, from location maintenance to learning the kitchen and office operations. After working his shift, he would stay to continue on the job training. He worked 10 hours a day, six days a week. Recognizing his aptitude and dedication, Omid was enrolled in Dunkin' Donuts University, a seven-week course for store managers. By 1996, just 10 years, since he had fled Iran, Omid had an opportunity to enter into a partnership as a franchise owner. Five years later, he was, in, he was independent, a franchisee on his own. Then he got really busy. 
He says it became all-consuming, but I could wake up feeling great that I had a business. Becoming a Duncan franchise owner was not the end of the journey, but a major milestone for Omed. He recalls sweeping the parking lot in his early years, thinking, one of these days, but not a pipe dream to Omed. It was his American dream. As a child in Iran, he said books and movies provide an image of America as a prosperous land full of boundless opportunity and freedom. Omed believed that if he dreamed big and worked hard, he would prosper. He describes the freedom he enjoys as a gift that only people who have lived without it can truly appreciate. To sit in a coffee shop and say whatever's on your mind without fear, to worship according to his beliefs, to simply listen to the music of his choice. I am American, said be says Benny, no hyphen anything, just American. Mm -hmm. Omed lives on Belmont Hill with his wife Marguerite and their son Jacob. He is a member of the Duncan Charitable Giving Foundation and sits on the Massachusetts board for the American Red Cross. And now on to my colleague, Claire. Thank you. Another retail marijuana business eyes Belmont. The town receives a letter of intent for another Pleasant Street location by Joanna K. Zavallis. Pleasant Street in Belmont has appealed to another prospective adult-use recreational marijuana retailer. The attorney for Boston-based Mint Retail Facilities sent a letter to town administrator Patrice Garvin stating its intent to apply for a license to open and operate a world-class adult-use cannabis retail facility at 768 Pleasant Street in Belmont. Lenny's Service Station, owned by Leonard Forziati of North Reading, is currently located on the property. According to Mint's business plan, it has executed a lease agreement to secure property rights. They anticipate an opening date no later than December 31, 2020. This is the second letter of intent the town has received. In October, the town received a letter of intent from the lawyer representing Winchester-based Cal Verde Naturals, which will be applying for a license and special permit from the town to open a store at 1010 Pleasant Street. According to the letter from cannabis attorney and mint minority owner Blake Mensing of the Mensing Group, LLC Mint, is an experienced medical cannabis operator with two dispensaries up and running in Arizona. Mint's principal owner and founder, Ivan Shahara, lives in Arizona and has 20 years of expertise operating numerous companies in the domestic mar marketplace, according to his resume. The letter also states Mint is in the process of obtaining cultivation and manufacturing licenses in Palmer and Beverly, and will be fully vertically integrated operation in 2020. The financial summary included in Mint's business plan projects the first year local revenue to the town with the local 3% sales tax and 3% community impact fee will be $276,000. By year four, the projection in the plan estimates the local revenue to be $660,000. 
According to Mint's business plan, included with the letter of intent received by Garvin, the Pleasant Street site will have two points of ingress and egress from Pleasant Street to ensure vehicular traffic flow is not adversely impacted by consumers' navigation onto or from the public right-of-way to access the site. Parking will be located on the site for both customers and employees to ensure patrons do not park on Pleasant Street or adjacent properties. If necessary, the plan states Mint will explore off-site parking. Also, according to Mint's business plan, the facility will have limited access areas. Entrances into the retail section of the store will be locked at all times, and entry will be strictly controlled with a buzz-in system. The marijuana products will be stored in a locked room out of plain sight to prevent loss, theft, and any diversion. Access will be restricted to authorized employees in a limited access area. Products to be sold will include flowers, concentrates, and extracts, infused edibles, accessories, and branded merchandise, according to the business plan. Odor control is also included in the plan, which states HVAC ducts will be outfitted with specially designed industrial-grade air filtration devices. The plan also states security at the site will include physical staff and electronic security systems. At the December 16 meeting, Garvin told the select board she is working with the town council and town planner to determine the host agreement process. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Belmont Couple Married 70 Years Christmas Day by Joanna K. Juvelis. Seventy years ago, on December 25, 1949, Belmont residents David and Johnny Jones joined hands in marriage. Today, they are still holding hands and are as close as ever. They met at a radio station in the small Kentucky town where they are originally from. David said he saw Johnny holding music books and quickly learned they were taking piano lessons with the same teacher. Music was one of the many common interests they shared in addition to roller skating, square dancing, and gardening. Johnny still has the roller skates she wore the night before they were married. He proposed about five months after they met. Johnny recalls he asked her if she wanted to go to the mountains because he was going there for work. She told him she would think about it. One year later, they married. She still wears the ring he gave her today and has preserved the bronze satin two-piece suit she wore on their wedding day. Johnny said she chose Christmas as their wedding day because she said it was a day when a lot of family would be together. They were married in a local hospital chapel in Lexington, Kentucky by the Reverend Pappy Collins, a 98-year-old patient who lived at the hospital. Reverend Collins said that you don't have to worry. Nobody that I've ever, I've ever married has divorced, said David. Christmas is Johnny's favorite holiday. It's such a happy time, she said. They love preparing a Christmas feast and singing Christmas carols together every year. Every year for their anniversary, David has given Johnny yellow roses because she wore a yellow corsage on their wedding day. David worked for a gas company as a welder and followed the company to many different parts of the United States during their marriage, including New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Louisiana. Johnny was a nurse and a seamstress. They had two children, David Neal and Lisa, 12 years apart, and three granddaughters. 
They moved in with their daughter Lisa in Belmont about one year ago. In 1991, they retired and returned to Kentucky. Johnny bought a house without telling David while he was working. It turned out to be a good buy, said David. They turned it into a bed and breakfast. I've always liked doing something. That's why he liked me, I think, said Johnny. Johnny also made floral decorations by hand and sold them in the gift shop at the bed and breakfast. David recalls she made 50 wreaths and hung them on all the windows at Christmas time during the first year they ran the bed and breakfast. <clears throat> Up until last year, the two performed bluegrass music together for local senior centers and nursing homes in Kentucky. David is now 94 and Johnny is 84. They still enjoy talk, taking walks, reading, watching television, and singing and playing music together. David stays busy helping with household chores. They said they love each other today as much as they did 70 years ago. Johnny says, said it takes work to stay happily married. You have to work at it. It doesn't just work itself, said Johnny. David joked, I've been such a sweet and kind husband, making Johnny laugh. See how he is, she said. I come from a family that marriage was something that was treasured. My mother and father were married for more than 60 years, said David. David says he loves Johnny's sweet smile and the way she babies him. He's spoiled, said Johnny. Johnny says she loves David's quiet, easygoing ways and sense of humor. He calls me Gertrude, said Johnny, laughing, laughing after a funny lady from the community David was from. Their advice to newly married couples? Don't be in a hurry to go see the lawyer, said Johnny. David laughed. Just take a little time out once in a while and maybe stay apart for a few hours. David also advises husbands to help their wives. I peel potatoes for her. I help her get things ready for dinner, he said. Why do they think so many couples get divorced? David says he thinks people are get too busy and don't have time for each other. They get so busy with their business or other activities and they don't have quiet time together, said David. What do they think of the world today? It's changed a lot, said David. It's kind of hectic now, said Johnny. People live much better than they did when I was growing up, but I don't think they are any happier, said David. He recalls the car he drove when they first married had a hole in the bottom. One of the planks and I hit a water hole and it splashed water on Johnny's feet on our way to church, said David. It was hard, really, said Johnny, referring back to life in 1949. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. The Faces Behind the Belmont Food Pantry by Joanna K. Juvalis. <clears throat> it has been a long, long-standing tradition of the Belmont Citizen Herald to give back to the community during the holiday season through Gifts of Hope, an annual campaign benefiting the Belmont Food Pantry. Over the years, thousands of dollars have been raised for the pantry thanks to contributions from readers and local businesses. Monetary donations help keep the shelves of the Belmont Food Pantry stocked for the more than 200 clients who use it every week to help feed their families. 13 Belmont residents are serving on the Belmont Food Pantry Board of Directors. They meet regularly to discuss changes, situations that arise during days the pantry is open, and much more. Michael Staub has been a volunteer for about 10 years and it currently serves on the board. The Citizen Herald recently asked him about his role 
and why he thinks the Bellman Food Pantry is an important local cause to support. What is your role on the board? I work with policy issues, helping out with the organizing at the three big food drives at Chenery, Belmont Services, and the Postal Workers, and picking up truckloads of food from the Greater Boston Food Bank. Most important, I work at the tuna, fruit, and meals in a can section at the pantry on Saturdays when I enjoy talking to our clients. Why did you get involved as volunteer for the pantry? I became involved when my sons were in Chenery and they did community service hours at the pantry. Why would someone donate to the pantry as part of the annual Gifts of Hope campaign? We are responsible for all members of our community. There but for the grace of God go you and I. The best day I had at the pantry was during the Great Recession when we got a letter saying that the client no longer needed to come as her husband had just got a job. What are your hopes for the future of the Belmont Food Pantry? I hope we can continue to add more fresh fruit and vegetables and add fresh and frozen proteins, fish and chicken, and that we can attract more volunteers to help with shopping and picking up food at local stores and the Greater Boston Food Bank. And now on to part two. Thank you, Bob. 13 residents serve on the Belmont Food Pantry Board of Directors by Joanna K. Juvelis. There are 13 Belmont residents serving on the Belmont Food Pantry Board of Directors. They meet regularly to discuss changes, situations that arise during days the pantry is open, and much more. Heather Blake has been a volunteer for about six years and currently serves on the board. The Citizen Herald recently asked her about her role and why she thinks the Belmont Food Pantry is an important local cause to support. What is your role on the board? My role on the board is as a coordinator along with Dr. David Harmon in opening the pantry on the fourth Sunday of each month. Why did you get involved as a volunteer for the pantry? One of the great blessings of the pantry is that it serves those right nearby. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming to try to make a difference with so much need in the world. Starting locally feels much more manageable. I became involved in the pantry through my affiliation with Plymouth Church. As a church, we decided that it would be nice to open the pantry one extra day a month. We chose a date at the end of the month with the thinking that money is tighter as the month goes on. Why should someone donate to the pantry as part of annual Gifts of Hope campaign? Donating to the pantry is a great way to help out locally. There is no overhead cost to worry about as the board is all volunteer. Those donating can be assured that everything they contribute goes directly into feeding their neighbor. It's a great time of year to make a difference in the lives of those in the community in which you live. The Belmont Food Pantry does not ask families to show proof of need, just proof of residency. Anyone who feels they need help can come without judgment and shop for what they need. The pantry is also a place where students, Cub Scouts, Brownies, and others have been able to come to learn the joy that can be found in giving. This also benefits our community in that our youth are learning empathy and generosity. 
What are your hopes for the future of the Belmont Food Pantry? My hope is that the pantry will continue to be able to serve the Belmont community wholeheartedly with an abundance of good food and smiles. How to Donate It has been a long-standing tradition of the Belmont Citizen Herald to give back to the community during the holiday season through Gifts of Hope, an annual campaign benefiting the Belmont Food Pantry. Over the years, thousands of dollars have been raised for the pantry thanks to to contributions from readers and local businesses. Monetary donations help keep the shelves of the Belmont Food Pantry stocked for the more than 200 clients who use it every week to help feed their families. Donations of Gifts of Hope should be made payable to Belmont Food Pantry, designated as a Gift of Hope, and sent directly to Belmont Food Pantry, P.O. Box, 291 Belmont 02478. Again, that's P.O. Box 291 Belmont 02478. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Emotional Retirement Reception for Police Chief by Joanna K. Juvelis. At a retirement reception in his honor Tuesday morning, Belmont Police Chief Richard McLaughlin was surrounded by his family, police chiefs from many neighboring communities. State Senator William Brownsberger, State Representative David Rogers, members of the Select Board, Committee Chairman, as well as many current and former town employees, including former town administrator David Kale. Brownsberger and Rogers presented McLaughlin with a joint resolution from both chambers of the House and the Senate, which recapped his career of more than 39 years in public service and five years of service in the U.S. Navy. Holding back tears with his arm around McLaughlin, Brownberger said, For your ten years, it's been no drama. We had the occasion to do a lot of good things during the nine years that I was on the board of selectmen. Richard McLaughlin is one of the best ever. Brownsberger was a member of the select board when McLaughlin was appointed as Belmont's police chief in 2007. Select board vice chairman Adam Dash presented McLaughlin with a p- proclamation on behalf of the town celebrating his distinguished career and years of honorable service. It stated, You've set a high standard of integrity, commitment, and dedication to which the Belmont police officers may follow and serve as an inspiration to the citizens of the town of Belmont. Cale presented McLaughlin with an engraved plaque to commemorate the day. He said he will always remember how McLaughlin used public safety to help people and that everything he did was to make Belmont a better place. You are truly a gentleman, and you treat people with respect. I've seen you treating people respectfully while you weren't being treated so respectfully, and you never lost your cool, and you always remained a gentleman. That is something to be very proud of and a great legacy to leave the Belmont Police Department, he said. McLaughlin was very appreciative of all who came to bid him farewell, especially in the day's bad weather. He thanked his wife, Sharon, first and foremost for all her support over the years. She's been my rock and also my guiding light, he said. She has been the strength behind me and the support. She is the least amount of stress in my life. McLaughlin's two sons, Bobby and Jamie, his daughter and daughter-in-law, Meredith, granddaughter Maeve, and her and brother Joe were also at the reception. Prior to becoming Belmont's police chief, McLaughlin worked for the Arlington Police Department for 27 years. His final position in Arlington before becoming Belmont's chief was the captain of operations. 
one of 10 children. He is originally from Cambridge and has lived in Belmont since 1988. McLaughlin's last day before his retirement is December 31st. On December 18th, the Select Board appointed Assistant Belmont Police Chief James McIsaac as the acting police chief as of January 1st. McIsaac was unanimously appointed as the new chief by the Select Board on December 9th after a search process which yielded five applicants and two finalists. Contract negotiations are underway and will probably be finalized at the January 7th Select Board. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. <coughs> new police chief appointed by Joanna K. Juvalis. The Select Board has appointed Belmont Assistant Police Chief James McIsaac to be the new Chief of Police, subject to entering into a contract. The Board publicly uh, interviewed two finalists, McIsaac and Lieutenant Christopher Donahue, Monday, December the 9th, as chosen by the Chief Search Committee. There was a total of five applicants for the position. Each of the candidates had one hour to present their first-year plans and answer questions for each, from each of the select board members. Select Board Vice Chairman Adam Dash was the first to comment during the post-interview deliberation, which was under five minutes. He said Christopher Donahue sounded like a great cop, but James McIsaacs sounded like a great leader. Select Board members Roy Epstein agreed. We're fortunate to have two extremely good candidates. There's a lot of similarities between them, but I think the principal difference is the fact that J uh, Jamie McIsaac has been assistant chief for some time and is more attuned to the issues that arise on the management side of things. It's clear that Chris has given thought to this and is aware of the issues, but Jamie has actually had actual experience managing these types of problems and has thought about solutions in a way that reflects the virtue of having that type of experience, he said. Select Board Chairman Tom Caputo said Donahue was great, has great experience in a, as an officer and he appreciates his financial background. It's hard not to be excited by his energy and passion, he said. However, he said he was particularly excited to see the depth of which McIsaac understands the issues and the manner in which he was able to offer particular examples, discuss strategy, uh, is a thoughtful leader and has a belief in continuous improvement. He has proven ability to collaborate across the town, particularly in the schools, said Caputo. In an interview following the public uh, interview, Donahue said he thought the process was fair and looks forward to continuing to work with McIsaac. I'll be there with him. Jamie is a really good guy. I have known him a really long time, said Donahue, who has been with the Belmont Police since 1996 and was one year ahead of McIsaac in the Belmont Public Schools. This was not his first time interviewing for the chief position. In 2006, Donahue was one of four finalists and was unanimously chosen by the select board on December 18, 2006. However, an agreement could not be reached during contract negotiations. He said he was happy the select board decided to search for the new chief internally before doing a, a national search. We were glad that they kept it inside and realized there were viable candidates inside, which was reaffirmed through the screening committee, he said. 
McIsaac has been with the department since 1999 and has been the, uh, the assistant police chief for the past seven years. He learned of the select board's decision soon after his public interview as he, as he was getting into his car. It was a long process, I'm excited. We have a great candidate, we have great, we had great candidates, said McIsaac. Belmont Police Chief Richard McLaughlin officially retires at the end of the month. According to Human Resources Director Jessica Porter, the starting base pay range for the police chief position is $143,442 to $168,900, subject to final contract negotiations. McIsaac's gross salary in 2018 was $167,275. Donahue, Donahue's current salary is $137,311 base and all applicable stipends. In 2018, he was the town's highest paid employee, earning $218,356, which includes overtime and details. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Belmont World Film to hold a family festival. From January 17th through the 20th, Belmont World Film's 17th Annual Family Festival, quote, where stories come alive, provides the opportunity to see some of the world's best current films for children, ages 2 to 12, and to participate in animation workshops at the Regent Theater, 7 Medford Street, Arlington, Studio Cinema, 376 Trapella Road, Belmont, Brattle Theater, 40 Brattle Street, Cambridge, and Belmont Media Center, 9 Lexington Street. The festival includes 13 film programs with nearly 40 animated live-action and documentary films, many based on children's books and several making their North American or U.S. premieres in English and other languages with subtitles read aloud through headphones from Belgium, China, Denmark, France, Latvia, Mongolia, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, and the US. Live events include the Very Hungry Caterpillar Show Storytime, an audience participatory puppet show, and storytime featuring two Eric Carle stories, followed by a photo opportunity with the Caterpillar puppet, and two workshops and two talks with artist-in-residence Cinzia Angelini, a writer, director, and story artist whose credits include the recently released Abominable, The Minions Movie, Despicable Me 3, and Spider-Man 2. The festival is supported in large part by grants from the Gravestar Foundation and the Mass Cultural Council. In an increasingly multicultural world, parents recognize the importance of fluency in more than one language, and the Family Festival offers children ages 3 to 12 the opportunity to hear and understand the multiple languages in a film and natural way, in a fun and natural way. And Belmont World Film Executive Director Ellen Gittleman says... The films also tell rich and unusual stories that don't rely entirely on special effects to create a sense of wonder. 
Opening night at the Regent Theater at 7.30 p.m. January 17 will feature the East Coast premiere of the Danish film Hacker. The screening is sponsored by the Consulate General of Denmark in New York and the Innovation Center of Denmark in Boston. Now, here's Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we, would, uh, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We would like to wish our listeners a Happy New Year 2020, and we will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings around Belmont.